0: Thank you for joining me today. This is Colin Hamilton, Commodities Analyst at BMO Capital Markets. And welcome to our short Metals Matters podcast where we highlight the key things you need to know in global metals and mining this week. Let's start this week with the general economic conditions where there's a lot going on at the moment. Generally, I'm still of the view that the global industrial economy cycle looks to be in a stage of nascent improvement. At different regions or at different stages, but with data in the world's largest industrial economy, China in the main, looking better, this is important for the global perspective. The situation is far from perfect, but government spending still supporting global capex, and even as the inflation-sensitive developed world consumer feels a pain, there are some positive signs starting to emerge. Global air freight, ex-China steel consumption, these are now at the highest level in 18 months. And that US economy is surprisingly resilient. New York Fed weekly economic index is still trending higher. However, there are plenty of pitfalls around. China's PMIs in October, both MBS and Kaishin, dropped back into contraction. As of New Orders, and other Asian PMIs have also reversed their path towards recovery. A little bit of a surprise there. Uh, we have been seeing that China data is steadily improving. We'll have to see if that's a bit of a one-off. But with fiscal support still coming through, yes, China in the main, I think, sentiment has undeniably improved. Flip side, Europe still looks a mess. Ex-China residential construction markets continue to struggle. So, a lot of moving parts around. But if I was to say one thing that surprised me over the past few weeks is a sudden surge in questions suggesting the energy transition is over. Wouldn't say this is a mainstream view, but it is one that's gaining some traction. The main premise is based on falling EV prices amid a market share battle, Tesla struggling to meet sales targets, plus financial stress at European renewables companies. To these questions, I typically point to BYD sales. So October data that was just out shows BYD selling over 300,000 units in October. That's a record. It includes 30,000 units of exports. BYD does sell more electric vehicles than Tesla now, and China is now the world's largest auto exporter, helped by these EVs. Um, there's also a whole raft of Chinese firms that most people haven't heard of setting sales records, firms like uh, Li Auto and, and Xpeng. And then on the renewable side, the, I mean, more than 200 gigawatts of wind plus solar China is adding in 2023 is frankly a ridiculous number, and solar panel exports will also hit record levels. The fuel to materials transition may be hitting some occasional speed bumps in the developed world, but China continues to surprise the upside. Um, I'd also note that the copper premium in Shanghai is now sitting at $92 a tonne, and that compares to $25 a tonne in the summer months. Bonded stocks extremely low. China's pulling on that global refined copper market once again. I get the impression that Sesco Shanghai might be a slightly more bullish conference than may have been expected two months ago. This week saw a publication of the latest gold demand trends report for the third quarter by the World Gold Council uh, using the data compiled by Metals Focus. This is always consistent, comprehensive when it comes to the gold market. At a headline level, gold demand was 1,147 tonnes in the quarter. That's down 6% on QC 2022. Details behind this though, now that's where it gets interesting. I always say when you're thinking about your gold framework, there are three pillars of gold demand. First, the retail consumer, still the most important in absolute terms and certainly the most price sensitive. With record gold prices in many key consumer currencies in Q3, and inflation concerns, perhaps easing, unsurprisingly, Bar and coin investment fell 14% year-on-year. Jewelry sales fell 2%. Um, and then with geopolitical risk rising, we might expect some of these micro alligators to hold a bit, little bit more gold in the portfolio in Q4. Then moving on, there's the central banks. And really the story here in gold, central banks purchased three hundred thirty-seven tonnes in Q3. That's the third highest in record as the trend of diversification and de-dollarization of holdings continues. Year-to-date purchases are up 14% year-on-year on on the World Gold Council data, though this does include some unverified assumptions. And the third pillar, the ETFs are generally the proxy for the, the macro asset allocator position. And here, there's positives and there's negatives to consider. The negative is that macro asset allocators are still selling with 139 tonnes of drop in ETF holdings over Q3. But the positive is that the pace of outflow is slower relative to last year despite higher rates. Interestingly, over October we've only saw minor inflows despite the rise in Middle East tension. That suggests Macrass allocators are still looking at higher rates for longer and a higher Fed neutral rate as the key driver of gold versus the transient nature of geopolitics equity market performance I would say would also corroborate this view. Just to touch on the supply side, gold mine output rose 2.3% year on year in Q3. That's a pretty decent performance all things considered. For the gold producers however, I'd suggest that the equity market still wants to see more evidence of lasting cost control before we get any re-rating. Some of the hype around uranium has naturally died down as the World Nuclear Symposium is in the rearview mirror. That hasn't though stopped the spot price edging higher, with the roughly $75 per pound recorded this week the highest since 2011. And naturally we've been fielding a number of questions around whether this is driven by utility purchases, particularly given the geopolitics around the Niger situation. Essentially, the answer's no. Not to say utilities aren't getting incrementally more concerned and we did note with some interest that President Macron of France took a trip to Kazakhstan this week to sign a deal for strategic cooperation. But utility cover over the next couple of years is extremely high. In fact, Euratom noted that at the end of 2022, EU utilities held £93 million of UTO8 equivalent. That might be the lowest this century, but it's still a huge number and 2023 needs at that point were 103% covered. By 2027, this drops at 54% though, and by 2031, 30% utilities will need to purchase at some point, but we expect most to remain out the market for now, particularly as the cost of financing working capital rises. Those in the uranium trading field, well, they confirm that the purchases driving the spot price higher have come from the financial market. The Sprott Physical Uranium Trust made more purchases in October than in the entirety of Q3. Other participants were also pretty active. Absolutely, uranium fundamentals look incrementally better quarter on quarter, and the thematic should be a long-duration one, particularly as small modular reactors get more traction. But this is not a market where consumers of material cannot get hold of units. Thus, we suggest some price consolidation might be warranted, particularly into any year-end profit-taking. Finally, while the prevalence of supply issues may have diminished in metals and bulk commodities in recent months, we have seen a few re-emerging in recent times. We're going to touch on three briefly here. Firstly, aluminium, where the Yunnan government has determined that aluminium smelters in the province should curtail over a million tonnes of primary output capacity from earlier this week. And this comes after the National Energy Administration in China press conference highlighted that uh, while overall electricity availability this winter should be sufficient, Yunnan would face a shortfall. I view this as pretty standard winter cuts. We would expect these to last through Lunar New Year and should help underpin Sheffield Aluminium prices. Also interesting to note though that Yunnan in the aftermath of this is looking to add 10 million tonnes of mined coal output over each of the coming three years to boost security of energy supply. That might undermine the green credentials of shifting primary output capacity to the province. Also, just to flag in the aluminium raw material chain, the domestic alumina price in China has risen to the highest level this year. And that's on the back of prolonged outages at the Sanmenxia bauxite mines. Secondly, another week, another zinc mine closure, this time the near-star mid-Tennessee mines, um to about 65,000 tonnes per annum of output. To be fair, these mines have been on and off consistently over the past decade, and if I'm being 100% honest, I actually thought they were still idle from the last cycle. However, it's just another affirmation that current zinc prices are causing some pressure on marginal supply. Total capacity idle over the past few months is now 400,000 tonnes per annum, It's about 3% of global mine supply, but should note that following the return of Penasquito after the strike, that would bring about 200,000 tonnes per annum back sequentially, which is a decent offset. Even so, the signs point to a lowering of the TC contract level next year. And finally, Metco. On a four-week moving average basis, Australian coal exports are now running about 20 million tonnes annualised below the level seen in mid-August. That's helping to underpin spot prices at a very high level. Um, CRU estimates that in October, BHP's Hay Point terminal shipped 50% less year on year, and that's despite favourable weather conditions. With Indian steel production strong and wash plant issues limiting availability of premium brands, the market certainly remains tight. I still say though current spot levels seem a little bit too high to be sustainable. Thank you for listening to Metal Matters. I do hope you found it a pleasant way to spend 10 minutes of your time. And please join me in a couple of weeks for the next discussion on pertinent topics in global metals and bulk commodities. That was Metal Matters, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Metal Matters on Apple Podcasts and other podcast providers, or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more episodes, including our other podcast series, BMO Equity Research, in tune. If you have feedback or suggestions for upcoming podcasts, please do share it with me at colin.hamilton at bemo.com. To access our full disclosures, Please visit Research Global forward slash public hyphen disclosure.